Hello and welcome to another edition of Five Alive. As you know, if you are a regular follower, last week we finished the book of John. Uh, we had been going through it for a little over a year. We're going to take a break from going directly scripture by scripture within the book of a of the Bible. And today, for the next several weeks, we're going to start a pattern of what it means to grow in Christ or how a person who first accepts Jesus continues to grow until the point where they have an understanding of who Jesus is, what he's done, and live their life as a faithful Christian who is obedient with everything they say and do. Is there still time for failure? Unfortunately, we do always fail. Is there time for making mistakes? Unfortunately, we make mistakes. Yet, these are patterns, practices, precepts, as well as methodologies, as well as teachings that we find in the Bible. And so we're going to talk through those for the next several weeks. Today, we're going to start with growth in Christ, the passage of Scripture we're going to be following in order to be talking about how we grow in Christ is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I want us to focus, while Xavier's reading on this passage of Scripture, on eight specific facets or aspects uh, which are going to be mentioned in verses 5 through 7, and those are faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, kindness, and love. Xavier, if you'll read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called to us, his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to su supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the reading of God's word. So let's begin with faith. Faith is the key which unlocks the door to God. You accepted Jesus Christ into your life by faith, and by your own will, by your own choice, you placed all your hope in Jesus. And at that moment, when you asked Jesus to come into your life and to take away your sin, Christ began abiding with you and you began abiding with him. Let's read John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. 
Then said Jesus to those Jews which believe on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Thank you, Mallory. So we are not to allow others or their words, our complicating actions or requests, or even the difficulties that we may feel in our heart to diminish our faith, which is our hope in Jesus Christ. Faith is defined in the Bible as the assurance of things hoped for. This is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Aisha. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Wonderful. Jesus is the only way to receive forgiveness of our sins, the only way to God, and has by faith become our deliverer, our redeemer, our master, our king. When we have faith in him, he is the one that takes us out of the ugliness that life has bestowed upon us, the mistakes that we have made ourselves, the way we've been treated poorly by others, the way we treat others poorly, and he is delivering us. Therefore, my hope is in Jesus Christ. My assurance is in Jesus Christ, and this makes my faith a foundational belief and truth. Faith is also defined as the evidence or the conviction of the things that are not seen as we read in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is what explains the supernatural and spiritual side of God. The things we know to be true, but cannot touch, see, hear, taste, or smell, or stranger yet, we can smell, but none of the other senses work, or we can feel, but none of the other senses work. Faith is our evidence that Jesus Christ is alive. Faith is our evidence that we too are now changed from a sinner to a saint. Have you ever experienced one of the senses, one of your senses, but not been able to use the other five senses? I haven't been able to hear very well often, like going, after going to a house party or a wedding or something like that and being by the speakers all night dancing. The next three days, I cannot hear as well as anything else and practically. How do you walk? Yeah. I walk funny too, because my balance is off. Right. Because the your balance is inside of your ears. There's it's in your cochlea, I believe, and it helps keep your body balanced. And since your eardrums have been almost ruptured, um, you're off balance, and so you walk funny and you can't talk normally. Mm -hmm. You have to speak. You speak louder, and people have to speak louder to you because you can't hear anything because your ears are ringing so bad. Very true. Have you ever had somebody put a blindfold on you? Yeah. Yes. How does that feel? I mean, it feels weird since I'm not used to not seeing. So, like all your other senses, all your other senses become heightened eventually. But at first, it's very disorienting. Mm -hmm. There was a game that we would play that you would blindfold someone, and then someone stands behind you, and that person is to like lead you through a maze. Right. So you're de dependent upon the person behind you to help make sure that. They're saying to go to the left or go to the right or go straight or go in a circle. Um, and so it really tests that the hearing and 
not only just the hearing of the voice, but hearing of your surroundings as well. Yeah. And what about the person? What if they're an untrustworthy person that starts sending you into stuff on purpose just to see you fall? <laughs> it tests your trust, doesn't yeah. it? Sure. Yeah. There's also a game that you do, like, you have to wear, like, something to cover your clothes. So sometimes you have to wear a trash bag. And so you wear a trash bag, and then they put a blindfold around you, and they have food in front of you. So someone has to try to get their hands to your mouth, but you don't know where the food is, so you just have to leave there with your mouth open uh -huh. and just wait for them to get it into your mouth. And then sometimes you aren't blindfolded, and like you have to guide the person to get into your mouth. And then sometimes people cheat and throw it on the ground. Okay. Yeah, so, so we have been gifted by God these five senses. And sometimes those senses don't always fully understand everything that God is doing. Let, let, let's take another uh, thing. Uh, we sang about it in one of the songs we sang before starting the podcast today, and that is the wind. Can we see the wind? No. No, we can only see the effects of the wind. Can we feel the wind? Yes. yes. Yeah. But we can't see it. Can we hear the wind? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Can we taste the wind? Yeah. Especially if no. there's a dust storm. Yeah. Especially yeah. if there's a dust storm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the wind is something, we see the effects of it. Mm -hmm. We can hear it. We can taste it, especially if it pushes like a stinky smell towards us or something like mm -hmm. that. Like when yeah. we used to live in Savannah and we could smell when the wind changed directions and the paper mill smell mm -hmm. came into the city and it smelled like, um, I always tried to tell myself, it smells like boiling cabbage. It doesn't smell gross. It smells like boiling cabbage. It's you okay. You can also taste it. it uh, yeah, to an extent, yeah. Um, but that's more of your smell that's telling your taste that. But we can't see it. We can't see the wind. And yet that's the way God is sometimes, is God is operating in a way that we can't see. And so our faith is something that we have to trust him that everything is going okay. Everything is going according to his will, according to his plan for our lives, as well as for what he has designed everything to do. So is faith an opinion? No, faith can't be an opinion. Right. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Right. That's what we're talking about. It is not an opinion. Yeah. It can't be an opinion. Uh, can faith be something that somebody likes or fancies? Oh, I have faith because I fancy that. Or I like this. No. No. No, not at all. Can Is faith something that's make-believe? No. We put faith in things all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, you get up every morning out of bed. And let's say you go to the bathroom and you sit down on the toilet. You have faith that that toilet is not going to fall down on you. Sure. Or collapse underneath you. Sure. Or you have faith that there's a chair at your dining room table that every time you sit down, you know in your head that that chair is not going to collapse underneath you. Yeah. You trust and you have faith in something that is not always possible. You can sit down in your chair, completely collapse out from underneath you. But you have faith that it's not going to do that. Yeah. Have you had a chair collapse underneath you? No, oh, only okay. Addison has. <laughs> what were you going to say? Um, 
a lot of pastors do it for kids, like kid children's pastors, mm -hmm. always have two different people, one person that sits down regularly and normally, and then has a person that's like, has to check it. So like, you have a kid that you tell, okay, check the chair instead of sitting down on it before you sit down. And it's like, oh, okay, I can do that. They don't really do anything. All they do is just look underneath the chair and then sit down. And then it's like, okay, why don't we bring someone else up? And so they go and bring someone else up that doesn't know anything about it. And so like they just go and they sit down and it's like, see, that's faith because they have faith that the chair is not going to fall or anything and they're not checking it. In adulthood and in life, as we get older, as we get into university, as we start our careers, as we're in our careers, we continue to have faith in lots of different things other than just our chair. We have faith in things that are different from when we're younger. And yet the chair analogy, as Avery was saying just a little while ago, he remembers it for so long because he's remembered it since childhood. It's not something that we practice regularly. We don't regularly go and check our chair to make sure our chair won't fall. We don't go, we, we go and we sit down. We don't, we don't even think about it. And so therefore, sometimes we take our faith for granted. And it's the same way in adulthood. Sometimes we take our faith for granted when we, when we know I can go out to the car, I can start it up, I can drive down the road, I can get to work, I can get to the grocery store, I can get wherever I want to be at. And we have such faith normally whenever we do something like that, that becomes, especially in the West, it becomes so easy. I remember hearing on Car Talk on NPR a couple of years ago, an Indian gentleman and called in and he says, I have trouble. I fall asleep in the car in America when I'm driving at night. And all I could think of in my mind was, yeah, because you don't have all of the, um, the visual things going on all around you to keep you awake like you do here in India. And that's the first thing that came to my mind is I was like, if you're driving in India, you have to watch out for dogs and cat, cats and cows and, and anything. Else. I mean, there could be anything in the street. There's people that are walking in the middle of the street. There might be a drunk guy or a drunk woman run across the street or just fall in the middle of the road. There might be a motorcycle cut you off. There, there will be somebody that's not paying any attention. Then they come directly from your left all the way across every single lane of traffic, even though it's six lanes lot wide they'll come all the way across and smash into you on the side so you've got to always be aware of what's going on and when you're in the west you kind of take those kinds of things for granted of caution and i have faith in the other driver that they're not going to do something silly and and all of these things regularly when they're not always in practice in our life sometimes we take it for granted we take our faith sometimes for granted our faith in the chair or faith in our ability to drive or in other people's abilities to drive or if the boss will treat me kindly at work or if i'll get a good assignment at work or if i'm going to get the next job that i have is going to be one that i'll be able to perform in high expectation and this will be in line with god's will so that, that way i'll be able to make money so that, that way i can pay off my bills so that that way i can help continue to provide for my family so that that way like we have all of these things in our mind, but sometimes we're operating completely blinded and other times we're operating as if we're just taking our faith for granted because often we don't think about the fact of how important our faith is because it just becomes a regular part of our life. So to have faith in Christ is actually described to us in Romans chapter 10. Verses 8 through 13. Blair has that for us. 
But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and it is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we call on the name of the Lord from the depths of our heart. We say, Jesus, you are Lord. If somebody sits down with us and tells us, now repeat after me, dear Jesus, Dear Jesus, I come to you today. I come to you today. And I ask that you take away my sins. And I ask that you take away my sins. Like we get into those repeated prayer times where we then don't recognize that we know how to pray because it's not been described to us in a way that we're calling on the name of the Lord. We are allowing the other person to lead us, and yet we're blindly following without faith being exercised. So is faith like a muscle? Yes. You have to build it up. You have to exercise your faith. Of course, when I was 12, I used to read exorcise, which is the <laughs> wrong words. I'm not saying that saying a repeated prayer after somebody isn't faithful or isn't appropriate. All I'm saying is, is how is that exercising our faith? I can remember very well when I first came to this conclusion of my mind uh, of I'm not going to introduce somebody to Jesus and then tell them to ask Jesus in their heart by saying a specific repeated prayer after me. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, all right, now it's time for you to believe in faith. Christ is Lord. It's time for you to confess your sin. It's time for, and I don't have a part of that. And this is just a conversation that you are entrusting Christ to remove your sin and that you are entrusting him to forgive you of that sin. And so therefore I'm going to walk away right now as you do that, because this is between you and our heavenly father. As you speak to him, he is going to speak back to you blessings and he's going to grant you forgiveness. And that isn't something that I can say, and then you repeat after me. And I think this helps us exercise our faith to get our faith muscles stronger. There is not a time in our life that our physical muscles can't get built or exercised. I remember going to Planet Fitness in 2018 and talking to a couple of the silver sneaker people which means they're over the age of 65 and they're in there. And one gentleman and I were talking and he's like, hey, how are you doing? And I said, sir, why are you lifting such small weights? And he says, because if I actually put any more weight on, my muscles will grow. And it feels really, really weird as an 84-year-old man to have muscles. So I just want my body to be toned at this point. So I'm still exercising because I want my muscles to be there and to be available. I want my balance to be strong, but I don't want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so I think about that and I think of the way that our faith grows and I think of the way that our faith can always continue to grow. Do we get afraid that our faith will get so big we limit how much we exercise it? Absolutely. Uh -huh. Why do we do that? 
because we're afraid of what's to come, the unknown. Mm. Because there's going to be nobody who's exercised their faith so greatly that they're going to like write a book and tell you about it and tell you the experiences they went through. And you're going to go through the exact same thing because each person is different yeah. and it's unknown. And people who have knowledge, who have exercised their faith, understand that and they'll tell other people that. And the other people will get afraid because they don't want to go through their own experiences. They just want the easy way, quick, I'm getting into heaven, let's go. Instead of exercising their faith properly and every day to build it up to be completely strong in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds strange to the world that to simply confess Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, King, Master of my life and my heart makes me a Christian. That sounds strange because when we're coming from the world into Christ, we think, well, there's got to be something that I do. It has to be some work that I do. It has to be somebody that I pay. It has to be something that I involve. And yet to just say, oh, in order to accept Christ, it's your faith and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you're saved. And that seems strange to the world. However, this is exactly the way the gospel has been designed for us because it does still cost us something. It costs us our life. And I don't want us to come away from talking about faith or talking about 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 without recognizing the fact that when I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, I am giving him my life. My life is no longer mine. My life is now his. And so let's keep our excitement of our faith in Christ and let us exercise our faith and see our faith grow and let's stay fresh. Let's never just limit ourselves in the exercise of our faith, but let us recognize also that our faith does cost us something. It costs us our lives. We're going to reread 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And I, I want us to read it in mind with the, this question. What has God given you? What has God given you? His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be Come partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. So what has God given you in accordance with that passage of scripture? He's given you his life. So my faith in Christ costs me my life, but he promises to give me his life, his life in its place. And verse four, what two things can you do now? According to what we just read, what are the two things that we can now do? We can enter into heaven. We've become partakers of the divine nature. Mm -hmm. And we have overcome the world. We yeah. can overcome sinful desire in nature. Absolutely. We can overcome our lust or our sinful nature. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Th that, that's very important for us to recognize that by having faith in Christ, that thing 
that's in your mind that you're like, I can never overcome this. This is it's a, my daily battle. It must be my cross to bear. It must be the thing that I always have to go through. Uh, in in Hinduism, we think that we have to be rebirthed so many times so that, that way one day it will be taken out of us so that that way we will achieve utopia one day. That thing, that thing is canceled in the name of Christ Jesus. There's no rebirth that needs to take place within Hinduism. The rebirth that takes place is I lay down my life and I pick up the life of Christ. That's the rebirth that I get and the cycle is then broken. So there's conversations that go around out there in the world today of these things called generational curses. Oh, this is something that happened before to my parents and so therefore it's the thing that I have to go through and it's just a generational curse. What do you think of generational curses, Blair? Generational curse is something that we as humans can get hung up on very quickly. Like we can go back to our forefathers. We can look at the life of Abraham and how he had an adulterous relationship. And then we can look into his son, Isaac, and how he had an adulterous relationship. And it's like, aha, because Abraham did it, Isaac did it. Sin is sin. A human is a human. No matter if you're a, a young man, if you're a young woman, it doesn't matter. A human is a human. And sin is sin. So generational curses, I do not necessarily believe in because God has come for all the world and has conquered that sin in Jesus' name. So to me, a generational curse in a family, it's an excuse. It's a, you're justifying yourself to continue to fall into that trap of that sin. So say, like if you have a loved one that is addicted to alcohol, therefore in term or in relationship of your own life, you fall into an addiction of alcohol. Well, because this is the life that my family led for me and they drink all the time, that means I too can drink. No. If we know the understanding of who Jesus Christ is as our personal Lord and Savior, if we are reading the scriptures, the Holy Bible specifically, daily, if we are making application, putting application to our daily life, of what we read through the Holy Scriptures, there's no excuse. And yes, you're going to have people, okay, yeah, I, I'm a born again believer of Christ Jesus, but I don't, I don't read the Holy Scriptures. I don't read the Bible. Yeah. That's sad. Because we will be held accountable for that on Judgment Day. So having a relationship with Christ, growing in faith with Christ Jesus is daily. It's a day in, day out practice. It's easy to fall in the trap of, well, my family did it. This is what my family was like. Well, this is what my family wants me to be like, instead of realizing who Jesus is and who Jesus is like. And the example that Jesus has walked on this earth of, oh yeah, he's paid the price for all sin. Oh yeah. I forever am able to remain in eternity with him. Mm -hmm. He's paid that price. I can go on. I don't have to keep repeating these things of life, um, whatever it may be, that is 
falling into a, uh, a, a disattachment from Jesus himself. Right. Because what somebody views as a sin may not be a sin to another person. So making a list of sins, that's not going to do anybody any good. I say that because I remember being 18 years old. Mm-hmm. I remember I was able to sign off. I, I, I'm 18. I'm an adult. I can sign off on things. I don't need my parents' permission. And for me, my sin, personally, at the age of 18, was getting a second earring hole put into my ears. Now, people may laugh at that. People may be like, that's not a sin. To me, it was because I did it without my parents' permission. I did it out of pure rebellion because nobody's going to tell me what I can and cannot do to my body. And I grappled with that for two years. So when I turned 20, I pulled that second earring out of my ears and I repented right there in my bedroom in college and university. Said, God, forgive me for my rebellion. I've been in rebellion for two, two years. Nobody's going to tell me what I can and cannot do. I'm an adult. I can make my own decisions. I don't need parent approval. I don't even need God's approval because I'm 18. I can do this. I had to repent. And therefore, sure, do I still have the whole marking in my ear? Absolutely. Is it a daily reminder to me? Absolutely it is. It reminds me of the sin that I did. And may God forgive me. So... Listeners, you may be laughing like, that's nothing. But to me, it's, it was a big sin. So like I said, sin is sin. And, and you know the matter of your heart. You know the rebellion of your heart, of the actions that you put forth. So a generational curse. My mom doesn't even have earrings. <laughs> so therefore, she's never pierced her ears at all. Um, my dad never wore earrings. So that was not a generational curse. That was just a me thing. Very good. It's important for us to recognize that this is one way for us to get hung up or trapped into something that separates us from God in the long run is because then we only focus on what is the generational curse or what is acceptable or not acceptable when the whole time what we have is we've been given an an instruction manual as so many people have called it before, the Bible. And as we will spend daily time in it, as we read, as we pray, as we seek after God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we see the things that are in our lives that are separating us from God for our individual self. And that's got nothing to do with what separates Mallory from God or Xavier from God or Aisha from God or Addison from God or you from God for me. I have to recognize in my life what it is that separated me from God today. And it can be pointed out to me multiple times and I can ignore it and say, nah, that's not really true. No, that's not really true. And the more I run away from it, it seems like the more that I get further and further down the rabbit hole of falling away or running away from God instead of seeking after him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. All right, we have three verses, verses 5, 6, and 7 in Second Peter chapter uh, 1. And they mention these things. Different words, because uh, Xavier's reading from the English Standard Version, but that's fine. These eight things are mentioned, and I want us to recognize what do they mean? Faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, kindness, and love. 
So if you'll read 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, with steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So we're talking about faith, but next, what is moral excellence? What does moral excellence mean to you? Is moral excellence being on time for your job every day and being on time, meaning being 15 minutes before the time that's been designated for you to be there? Is moral excellence completing the task that you say you're going to complete? Is moral excellence never lying or accepting a bribe? Is moral ex Ask yourself, in, as a believer in Christ, as I'm exercising my faith, what is the moral excellence that I want to make sure that I put out there today. Next, knowledge. What is knowledge? Can I corrupt my mind with too much knowledge? Or can I corrupt my mind with the wrong kind of knowledge? And is that two different things? Or is that the same thing? Because I see nothing wrong myself with studying science. I see nothing wrong with taking natural observations, biological observations, looking through a microscope, looking through a telescope, seeing what God has designed out there for us and learning from it. There was a man over a hundred years ago, a black gentleman in America, and he studied the peanut. And he said, God, if you are real, show me yourself in the peanut. And he found 50 different uses for the peanut. One of them, thankful Lord, is peanut butter because I really like peanut butter. And God proved himself through a peanut. I mean, that's pretty powerful. So gaining knowledge, can I also go down the wrong road in my knowledge gaining? Like I want to spend all my life in the red light district and I just want to see what it looks like in the brothel and I want to experience the brothel. Is that the wrong kind of knowledge? Yes, that's the wrong kind of knowledge. That is not the place that we're supposed to go. So we've got to recognize between faith and moral excellence, what is the knowledge that we're seeking after? Next is self-control. Man, that's a tough one. Self-control, especially if I'm eating a bunch of brownies. Mm -hmm. I have a big old plate of brownies sitting right behind me right now. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah. And I want to cut it up and I want to eat every single one of them there. Mm -hmm. But self-discipline, mm -hmm. self-control says... No, those are for a client. You baked those for a client. You weren't supposed to eat those. Those are for somebody else. To which we all frown our face and go, oh, but I want to have a brownie. But self-discipline, self-control says, no, there's a reason for that. Patient. And of course, self-control is easy when it's something that I could care less about. Right. But if it's something that I really want, like a brownie, with a little bit of walnut on it, nice and gooey in the middle, oh, man. That makes it, it hard. <laughs> you know it, but I mean that's that that makes that that makes it harder to be self-controlled. What uh, what about? I mean, I'm just we're under lockdown again, and I'm just gonna sit here and binge watch TV all day long. Oh, just one more show. Oh, just one more show. Oh, just one more show. Is that self-control or is that lack of discipline? Lack of discipline. Because how many other things could we be doing instead of just sitting there watching Netflix? Much more. Mm -hmm. We've in our family, this is just some of the things that we've done. We've painted, we've drawn, we have written songs, we have created music, we have read lots of books. 
Lots and lots of books. We have made sure school's done. Blair has gotten another certificate for her teaching because she's a, a teacher and she's able to do that. Uh, we've been baking like crazy for our online bakery. We don't just binge watch TV. We are doing all of these things. And I'm just limited by my mind right now of things that we've done. But we've done all these things. Next is patience. Man, that, that's been a tough one that's been tested beyond the limitations for some people, I think, under these lockdowns and these curfews is how much longer? How much longer am I going to have to wear a mask? How much longer am I going to have to put a face shield on in order to get onto a plane? How much longer am I going to have to get a COVID test before I take a flight or even leave the state of Punjab at this point? How much longer? How much longer are the gyms going to be closed and the restaurants to be closed? And we think of that, but patience, how is our patience being tested and tried and shown to be true? Am I still disciplined and patient putting my mask on when I go outside? Cases are rising and deaths are real. So my business partner and I were talking the other day about, you know, how much longer are the kids going to be home from school kind of a thing. And of course, we've been naturally blessed by homeschooling our children for years now. But he was talking about it from the standpoint of he's working from home in Mumbai and how, oh, my goodness. You know, I, there's not a phone call. There's not a video conference. There's not a Google chat. There's not a Zoom meeting that I have that there's not somebody in my family somehow going to be a part of that. Uh, phone conversation and how he has come to just accept it. Hey, it's okay. My son will run in the room, he says at one point, and he'll give me a hug and I'm okay with that. And I just point to the, uh, the computer screen and say, say hello to whoever I'm talking at that moment. And he came to the conclusion in his patience that he's invaded the space of his children by being at home and not being at work. And he wants to show his children as much love as he possibly can in those moments that he has, that he has this blessing, this blessing to be at home with his children and to not take it for granted, not take these moments for granted, but to enjoy these moments that we have together because there's never been a time like this within the 21st century before this past year. And we've gotten to know our families more intimately than ever before. And so our impatience of not wanting to wear the mask, get outside, do things like they are normally, we can overlook the blessing that we have, which is our family that's right here with us. So those are the first five things, faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, and patience. Next is godliness. What does godliness mean to you? What, what is it whenever the scripture pulls out and says that we're called to be godly? What does this mean? Is this a bar that is set really high up there that there's just no way I could ever achieve it, so I just give up before I even get there? Or is a call to godliness something that Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will help you to achieve? I believe it's the latter. He will help you achieve it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number seven is kindness. Who can we not show kindness to? I mean, is there a limit to our kindnesses? The answer is God to start overwhelmingly as we exercise our faith and as our faith muscle gets stronger, it has to come to that point where we say, no, I can show kindness to everything and everyone. Kindnesses are things that have got to continue to grow in our heart. And this is one of the very things that I see that is afflict us today 
as you can see throughout the U.S., as you can see throughout India, as you can see throughout the world, is the kindnesses for our politicians, the kindnesses for people that disagree with us, the kindnesses for people that don't believe the same way we do. We become intolerant of, of people that disagree with everything we say. And if they have a, a one word that they think that's just slightly different than us, well, then I have no time for that person. And we've become highly intolerant. So as we're growing closer to Christ and we're exercising our faith muscles, our kindnesses grow. And the last thing is love. We've talked a lot about love over the past several weeks. All of those things hold to be true. But love for one another, loving our neighbor as ourself, loving ourself, loving our brother, our sister, our husband, our wife, our children, our coworkers, these are things, this love is something that is so important that it bubbles out of us. And that shows us how close we are getting to God. As we continue to grow in our faith, as we continue to grow in our relationship with Christ, as our faith continues to grow and we seek after Jesus more and more, let us not forget the day of our salvation, that moment when we ask Jesus Christ into our heart as our personal Lord and Savior. It was not the decision of somebody else. It was not the decision of our grandmother or our spouse or our children. It was our decision. It was our decision to ask him into our heart. And let us have confidence in that and stand secure today that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Mallory? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day. And now we will worship you forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. amen.